Welcome to Choosing Leadership, a podcast for high performers with big dreams and for leaders who know that they are more powerful than the level that they are currently playing. I am Sumit Gupta, your host and the founder CEO of the Deploy Yourself School of Leadership. I am here to help the best leaders get better and to help organizations massively improve their output and impact and at the same time eradicating workplace stress. Yes completely eradicating, not just reducing, completely eradicating. I believe in creating a future and a work culture where people wait for Mondays, not Fridays, and get to do their most meaningful work. The aim of this podcast is not to provide you more content, but instead shift the context under which you operate. This podcast is titled Choosing Leadership because that is what leadership is, a choice. In each episode, I will celebrate leaders who have made such choices, which are not always easy and comfortable, but which has helped them get to where they are today. And let us celebrate the leader in us for choosing to move over our fears, for choosing to be motivated by something bigger than ourselves, and for choosing to deal with every challenge that comes on the way. Let us celebrate you right now for stepping into the unknown and taking courageous action as those were the moments when you chose leadership. At the end, I will share how you can be our next guest on this podcast. And with that, let's get started. Jacqueline is the co-founder and the CEO at Carbon Equity and is passionate about building high-impact ventures. In the interview, she shares her journey from growing up in various countries to her mission to combat climate change. She highlights how her adventurous spirit connects with entrepreneurship and emphasizes that solving environmental problems can go hand in hand with financial growth and returns. She reveals her introverted side and the importance of personal time to recharge and offers insights into her daily routine and leadership style. Hi Jacqueline, welcome to the Choosing Leadership podcast. Thank you, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to have you here. Why don't you start by sharing a bit about yourself and what keeps you busy these days? Yes, sure. I'm one of the co-founders of Carbon Equity, which is a climate investments platform. I founded that or co-founded that two years ago. And what we're trying to do is to mobilize capital, private capital at scale to help fund climate solutions that we need to get to a net zero future. Thank you for sharing that. And I've been doing my research on your profile. This is not the first time that you have started a company, right? And you have also uh, been to all over the world, I assume, and also started companies in different countries. Can you share a bit of your background? What has uh, shaped you? What has led you to where you are today? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I grew up very internationally. My dad was a shell engineer, actually. So from the age of one, I've been uh, living in different countries. I lived in Australia from the age of one to six, and then from seven to 11 in Syria. And we were actually supposed to go to Africa, but ended up in the Netherlands. But so I grew up a bit as a global citizen. And after my studies, lived in Peru, Norway, Kyrgyzstan, and most recently six years in the Philippines, where I built several companies. I consider that a great richness. It's a great source of wealth that I've been allowed to grow up with such different perspectives. And I definitely think that has shaped my path wanting to 
yeah, have perhaps uh, more of a global impact. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I'm quite curious, how has that uh, shaped your thinking? What advantages or disadvantages does it present when you talk to people who maybe do not have that varied background or experiences and your about your dreams, about how you lead? What uh, like what could be some of those advantages or disadvantages that you see? I think the main thing that I see is I really grew up in a very adventurous way, and I would consider myself an adventurer at heart. And now in entrepreneurship, I think at entrepreneurship and adventuring is more or less the same because you go through this roller coaster ride of an experience no day is the same and you're constantly path seeking and so i think there are strong parallels between discovery adventuring and entrepreneurship so i think for me especially in terms of the climate topics that i'm currently working on having a global perspective is super important because we both live in the Netherlands. Uh, the Netherlands is uh, very well organized, but also relatively protected uh, against uh, all kinds of major weather disasters. And I think so we're relatively shielded and far away from the current existing impacts of climate change. But being in the Philippines, which gets whacked by super typhoons several times a year, you really see the potential devastation of nature and climate change uh, much closer. And you also see that these countries and these people have much less resilience because they have much less wealth. And so for me, having a global perspective is uh, super important in thinking about these challenges, not just within national borders, but really on a global scale. And so that also makes the solution set a little bit more realistic. So Yes, climate technology is one part of it, but climate justice is a very important other part of it, helping countries recuperate from natural disasters, protect against natural disasters, and also help them industrialize, but in a low-carbon way. Yeah. I, I love how you equate uh, adventure and entrepreneurship. Uh, yes. A lot of time I, I meet founders or I meet entrepreneurs. They do see it as an adventure, but they are struggling or they are finding it very hard to deal with all the surprises and all the ifs and buts which can happen uh, anytime. How has that uh, shaped up for you? Is, uh, and especially given your previous startups also, can you reflect yeah. back on that? How have you learned to love this adventure to do yeah. it multiple times and not just once? Yeah, I guess it's exactly in that framing of entrepreneurship as an adventure because an adventure is expected to have hard moments. Otherwise, it wouldn't be an adventure. It would be smooth sailing. And so an adventure is beautiful exactly because of the ups and downs and the challenges that you overcome. And I think what has helped me also having the perspective of having built uh, several companies in the past is getting from A to B. It's almost like climbing Mount Everest. And so there are some days that are uphill. There are some days that are smooth walking downhill. There are some days where you get an insurmountable rock block of rocks that you can't get further or so it seems. And what I've learned from building companies, but also from running the marathon, I ran the marathon of New York in 2004. And what I learned there was 
that if you keep on your feet and you keep on walking, you will get to the finish. For me, having that perspective helps me anticipate that there will be hard moments. But also knowing that after hard moments, there will be moments that it will be smooth sailing again. So that makes these moments where things get tough less finite or less threatening because it doesn't feel like an existential risk. No, it's simply a challenge. There will be challenges we need to overcome. Just keep on walking and you will get to mm. higher grants where things will get easier again. So embracing the difficulties as a learning experience and part of the beauty and having that long-term perspective that after rain comes sunshine and after sunshine comes rain, <laughs> mm. it will continue like that. Yeah, thank you for that uh, perspective. I think that's the word, right? Uh, to to call a challenge as a beauty, I think that says a lot. Can you can you? So you mentioned your father being in Shell, and yeah. what you're doing is related to climate change. I think these can be two very polar. Uh, can you share how did you come upon this idea or what you're doing and what is the vision? Mm -hmm. And is that connected to growing up, uh, traveling around the world, uh, maybe maybe associated with the fossil fuel industry? Is there some connection there? There is no connection there, yeah. having grown up with a dad in a fossil fuel career. Again, I've had the privilege of growing up in very beautiful countries and living much in nature. Already at the age of seven in mm. Syria, we would do a lot of trail runs. So I really grew up running through the mountains of Syria and seeing a lot of nature. So I've always had a strong bond with nature. I'm an active surfer, for example. and. So climate change has been a topic on my mind since Al Gore in 2004 with Inconvenient Drew, but it has gone a little bit in phases. So for me, it was background awareness until I read this book called The Sixth Extinction, which talks about the five major extinctions in the history, amongst others, the extinction of the dinosaurs, and how now we're in the midst of the sixth extinction. And she talks about how the speed of biodiversity loss and temperature changes is truly unprecedented. So Climate change has always gone, extinction has always gone hand in hand with climate change, but typically climate change has played out over tens of thousands of years. And now we're in this pressure cooker since industrial revolution, where all this is happening on a scale of a few hundred years. And we've never seen that before and it makes it super scary. So when I read that book, it helped me realize that really nothing else matters because climate change is, I think, in my opinion, an existential risk. And even if uh, humanity survives, then conditions of life will change dramatically for ourselves and our children, let alone our grandchildren. I really want to spend the rest of my life helping solve this issue. And often people ask me, is there some sort of, I don't know, cognitive dissonance or friction with your father there? How do you look at his career? The way that I look at it is that perspectives were very different then, right? In the 80s, working for an oil company or for a big corporate was much about prosperity, right? The thinking was that oil and gas would uh, lift countries out of poverty. We needed infinite cheap energy to power the economy. And I think obviously we have that perspective has dramatically changed. Now we fully understand the risks of, of fossil fuels, but also of our linear economy, right? And so I don't blame my father for that at all. I understand that perspective has changed. I do blame leaders who knowing, who are knowing of the risks that they are imposing upon the world and who despite knowing that, 
think and make choices that are yeah maximizing corporate profits at the expense of uh, the rest of the world those people i do blame yeah thank you for adding that can you share a bit about your vision what are you trying to do with carbon equity yeah sure so my vision on climate change is that we need everything all at once so we need uh, the government to put in place and let's say carbon taxing uh, carbon pricing and all these subsidies and rules to make sure that we decarbonize our economy we need corporates uh, to invest and transition their own businesses we need consumers to take responsibility and simply make better choices and we need a huge amount of investments to make sure that we build and scale technology to provide low carbon alternatives to the current way that we live. So we need to move from planes to electric aviation or hydrogen planes. We need to move from gasoline cars to electrified cars. We need to move from using fossil fuels uh, for, for cement, steel, chemicals to bio-based materials, for example. So there is a huge amount of transition that we need and we need technology for that. And to get to that technology, we need investments. And what Carbon Equity seeks to do is to unlock capital at scale from private investors who traditionally have not had access to funding these type of companies. And so let me explain that in slightly more detail. Basically, you can either invest in the listed stock markets or in the private markets. Listed companies is, for example, when you buy shares of Tesla. Well, when you buy shares of Tesla, basically I'm buying your shares, right? So there's no money going into the company. So typically the impact of investing in listed stock companies is relatively limited. You can have much more impact investing in private markets. But private markets have been off limits to the vast majority of not ultra high net worth individual investors. Either you can be an angel investor, and angel investing has a lot of impact and it's also very fun, but it is also very high risk because you're investing in one company and the risk of that you know, company failing is very significant. So what do professional investors do? They invest in funds, venture capital funds or private equity funds. And such a fund basically is managed by a professional investment manager who invests not in one company, but in a portfolio of 20 to 30 different companies. So it's more risk diversified. But typically you need 5 million euros plus as an individual to be able to participate in such a fund. Now, what Carbon Equity does is we take people who are not ultra high net worth and we allow access from smaller amounts, currently 100,000 euros, from next year 25,000 euros and hopefully in the future even lower. And we bundle those amounts and make one big aggregate commitment towards these funds. The advantage being that as a private individual, now you are not investing on your own, but you have the world's best professional climate investors doing the work for you, investing mm. on your behalf. And secondly, you're not investing in one company, but through a fund of funds in, let's say, 200 different companies. So you're not betting on a single individual horse, you're betting on the direction of travel, betting that climate technology as a whole is a massive double-digit growth market that also has a lot of impact in decarbonizing our planet. So mm. that's what we are seeking to do with a very specific goal of mobilizing at least 10 billion in capital over the next 10 years to fund uh, climate solutions. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. So you're trying to bridge a gap 
yes. in the marketplace for that, like 25K plus, but not the high net worth. And then channeling them towards creating a sustainable future for all of us. Yeah, it's correct. And we do work with ultra high net worth individuals. So we have a professional solutions arm, mm. which really works with family offices and all, yeah, literally with billionaires. But our raison d'etre is to enable that sort of privileged access for a much wider span of people. Mm. As a result of which that ultimately people with a pension, a retirement, a savings account, a, a bonus uh, can help fund the future and benefit financially ultimately from the upside of creating a net zero future. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I want to talk about money a bit here because a yeah. lot of time investment is about ROI, like our yeah. ROI, like what will this money be in a few years? Yeah. Uh, and so how do you deal with that, right? Because is it yeah. investing for increasing the value of my money or is it investing for the climate or can both of these both. go hand in hand? Yes, yeah. So our thesis is that these two things go hand in hand, that the bigger the problem that you solve, mm-hmm. the more value you create, both planetary and financially. Let me go through a couple of examples. Solar is a massive growth market. It's a huge market. Last year, more solar uh, capacity was installed than all of the nuclear capacity existing in the world. So that is huge. And this massive growth, this massive market is still growing at 20% year on year. Huge. Mm-hmm. Heat pumps grew 28% last year in Europe. Huge. The market for green steel is massively growing. The market for hydrogen is going to go from 2 billion to 130 billion in the next 10 years. Yes, you are definitely investing in solutions to help decarbonize the planet, and that should have a very positive impact. But also financially, this is super interesting, probably the most interesting theme to invest in, because it's one of the biggest macroeconomic themes of the coming decades. Hmm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And especially, right, you're going against a convention. Is there certain kind of people or certain kinds of money that you have to say no to, that you have to draw a line that this is not what we are going to do or this is not the direction Mm. that we are going to do to make sure that over the long term, what you're trying to do has its desired effect. Good question. So in terms of investment policy, we're obviously very strict, right? So we only fund funds. So we're fund funds investors who only invest in fund managers who Mm. are fully focused on investing in climate technology and who had the highest standards in determining what is a climate technology and how do we evaluate what technologies are going to most, be most impactful. In terms of a source of funds for us, we currently have a lot of entrepreneurs and uh, for carbon equity. We have not uh, said no, and I'm not sure we would. Let's say if Shell wants to come and invest through carbon equity, I would have to think whether that would be problematic. I think in general not, because uh, whatever the source of funds, I want people to invest in and the solutions that we need. So I think Shell is a big investor in climate technology solutions. Occasionally, we are actually co-investors, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I think they should, as much as possible, invest in these types of solutions, especially with the aim of then ultimately gaining these technologies and incorporating them in their core business. So. Yeah, I think all capital so far is welcome, except for obviously any unethical capital, but that's where we have 
know your customer uh, checks and yeah. <laughs> all kinds of things to make sure that we yes. have legitimate money instead, of course. Yeah, yeah. And you're doing it as an entrepreneur, right? So you're building yeah. your own organization as you're scaling this uh, impact. What challenges yeah. do you foresee either in the wider ecosystem, in the wider market, or for yourself in the organization itself as you grow, as you scale uh, your own setup? Yeah. So Carbonecti basically consists of, we have an investment team that basically selects funds, consisting of impact and investment professionals. We have a tech team who is building the digital infrastructure to make sure that we offer a frictionless and low-cost investing solution to enable democratized access for a mass affluence and high net worth investors. We have a regulatory and compliance team, and then we have a sales and marketing team that tries to build distribution and our brands. I think our challenge at this point now, we have 150 million in assets under management with uh, close to 600 investors from Netherlands, Belgium, Germany, et cetera. Uh, now we're in that we just raised uh, uh, some funding, which will be disclosed uh, soon. Uh, and now the challenge is really to scale from our home markets into other markets. So soon we're starting in Germany and in Sweden. And that's going to be a whole new challenge to build your reputation and brands all from scratch. So that's going to be very exciting. For me, as a CEO, obviously it's also a challenge to scale from different phases of growth. I've led companies from one to 500 people, more or less. Uh, and I have things that I do well, and I have things that I absolutely don't do well. And generally, my strengths are more on the yeah, vision and strategy and inspiration and, let's say, public relations side. But my strength is not in management, for example. I'm not the most consistent or reliable person, what great at team management or time management, et cetera. And so... We uh, are now putting in place uh, the philosophy of rocket fuel, which is a management book on uh, how to organize your management team, where basically rocket fuel says you have a visionary who visions and does strategies. You have an integrator who manages the team. So I'm currently working with our COO. So for her to take on most of the direct day-to-day -day mm -hmm. management responsibility, which sort of frees me up to be more focused on where are we heading. And mm. so you also constantly need to be evolving as a leader on what's your role as an organization. How do you make sure you are your best version of yourself and add most value? Yeah. Thank you for being open about that. So my question to you would be, when did you realize that? That this is something I do very well and this is something which maybe I don't do or I don't want to do. And how have you struggled or learned or dealt with it uh, before? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a lifelong learning journey. And that also makes entrepreneurship or leadership roles so interesting because I don't think there's any point where you get to a point where you've truly arrived and you're oh. all-knowing. So I've started going through different leadership experiences, started to realize, oh, my superpowers, I call superpowers things that you do 10x better than somebody else. And I think it's very important to know your superpowers, to really understand what are the things that I get energy from and then I'm particularly good at, and those are really the things where you thrive. And I, yeah, so for me, what I said, that's really in, in storytelling and strategy and vision. And But recently, only recently when I read this book, Rocket Fuel, it describes what a visionary is. And it also describes that this visionary is very good at these things, storytelling, a vision, inspiration, et cetera. 
but that the average visionary really sucks at day-to-day management. And it was so interesting to read the whole list of things that visionaries are not good at. And it was like one-to-one identification. It was really like, wow, this is me. And that was great because it made me feel like less of a loser. So apparently it's just my profile, my kind of person. Mm. It's not that I'm exceptionally bad at things, or at least it's expected that I'm bad at these things. Uh, So having that framework was very helpful in understanding how I should deal with that competence set and also with that set of things I do not do well. So in that sense, reading books, reading blogs is very helpful to find these frameworks to understand how do these uh, things uh, fit. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for sharing that once again and being open about that. It can present not just uh, like tactical challenges from a company or a leadership level, but also an emotional on an emotional level because you yeah. you think that as a CEO you're supposed to do something, yes. uh, but then you don't either want to do it or you're not good at it. Yeah. Uh, so how else have you continued to invest in yourself? I think your background uh, gives you that perspective. It opens up new doors or new eyes. But how do you invest in yourself in either building up a skill which you which you lack or complementing it with somebody else? And now as you are growing, you don't have to do that just for yourself, but also for other leaders in your organization. Yeah. And so can you share how do you do that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, good point. I strongly believe in, especially in your 20s, I think you should learn everything. It should build up the skill base, both things that you to do or good at, but also things that you're not so good at. And you figure out what is the thing that I'm particularly good at. And then in your 30s, I think you should double down on that thing that you're particularly good at. And, and then you should hire around you or surround yourself with people who are complimentary. So I'm in that phase of my life where I'm very good at understanding what I'm good at and what I'm not good at and attracting people like my COO, for example, she's a perfect compliment. She could not be a better compliment to me. And together by myself, I can't get anything done. Together, we're a superpower. So really being honest to yourself is very useful. And then secondly, building a very strong feedback culture in the organization. So I really am a believer in radical honesty. So to be super open and super transparent with uh, feedback towards people that I work with and to receive feedback from them. So I have a chief of staff and he gives me a quarterly feedback review form. He's 26, I'm 39. And I get reviewed by him. And it is so useful to get this feedback and to learn. So really building a very strong feedback structure in the company where we have a two-way feedback to make sure that everybody's learning and it's not a top-down process for me is very important. And third, we try to build a bit of a learning culture where we actually even hire for this, right? So we actually have one of the first things that we look for is do people have a growth mindset? Are people self-learners? Are they reading books or listening to podcasts or hearing newsletters? Are they challenging themselves? My chief of staff, he writes his own sort of feedback. He does like this weekly thing where he reflects on himself and says, what could I have done better? Yeah, this is awesome. So these kind of people we want to have and then actively share lots of knowledge and things that inspire or that we can learn from within the company to build this culture of learning and continuous improvement. Yeah, thank you for, for sharing that. I think that's a wonderful uh, practice to be radically honest, especially around feedback. 
yeah. because uh, feedback is there is almost in every company, but the honesty is often missing. And because yes. of that, the uh, the benefit that you can get out is often very limited. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And uh, as we also begin to wrap this up, mm -hmm. can you share something else about you, which most people that you work with are not aware of? Yeah, actually, one, one thing that we recently uh, discussed, uh, we we do this biannual workation. We uh, rent a big house and with the whole team, we uh, go sit and work somewhere on an offsite for, for a week. And during our math vacation, we did the MBTI test, which was very useful to get to know each other. So there are these different dimensions of are you extroverts that are introverted, intuitive or sensing, et cetera. And I am much more introverted than people think. So because I speak, yeah. Uh, and speak clearly or speak a lot in the press and I'm always the face of the company. A lot of people think I must be very extroverted. But in fact, I'm very shy. Uh, and this can be hard for me running a company and being a CEO because as a CEO, you should be in touch with people. And I am literally occasionally afraid of small talk. Mm. So <laughs> I find it hard occasionally to connect with people at a more personal level and to overcome my own shyness. What I try to do is to tell people up front uh, about this and to invite them to also take initiative to invite me for a walk or go for to initiate a lunch, for example, so that, yeah, I try to overcome that weakness. Or it's not a weakness, yeah. by the way, to be introverted. Yeah. It's more of a yeah. preference, right? Uh, yeah. But to teach people or to at least inform people on how, uh, yeah, what my sort of personality type is uh, so that people... Yeah understand me better. Yeah, I think on the other hand, it, it can be a big strength, especially yeah. for leadership roles, right? And you said that you are good at uh, storytelling, you're good at that outward facing part. And now you talk about you being an introvert. What do you do internally? What do you do alone to hmm. make yourself ready for what your job demands from you? Yeah, it's a good question because I really need some alone time to recharge. It's actually mm. one of the finding things of an extrovert gets recharged by hanging around people and an introvert really needs a long time. So I need thinking time. One of the ways I do that is I wake up early in the morning, typically around five, and then I have two hours before the day starts so I can actually think about things. And that mm. gives me uh, the time to uh, come up with this perspective of, okay, where are we uh, on our journey? What's important? And to make sure that I constantly have that perspective front and center. Secondly, after being in social dance, doing talks, etc., I really need to also gift myself the time to recharge. Uh, and that's occasionally literally gifting it to you yourself because you don't always have that time. So really making time to switch off, I think is very important. I recently went on holiday and for a full two weeks, I didn't check my email. And it was the first time I think I did that. And it was really great to gift yourself the freedom of switching off. Wonderful. I, I love that frame, gifting yourself that time. And yes. also what you mentioned, those two hours in the morning yeah. uh, sets you up for the rest of the day. And are those two hours like free or do you do anything structured? Yeah, I do. I, I started with a seven minute workout in my living room yeah. or barely seven minutes. But that's just wake up and then I try to work on the thing that is most important. So the thing that I'm dreading most or the thing that needs most brain space, for example, because starting with that stuff and then gets it out of the way, it really gets you a success feeling already at the start of the day. And that can really yeah, be very motivating. 
And I don't always manage. Sometimes my days are overloaded with, or my inbox are overloaded and I just crunch emails in the morning. But I try to focus on what is what will move the needle most and really spend my time there. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. As we wrap this up, for anybody who might be listening and want to reach out or find out more about what you're doing, what is the best way for them to do? Sure. You can find that. You can learn a lot about Carbon Equity on carbonequity.gov. Uh, we have a lot of webinars and a lot of cool blogs, and there's lots to learn about climate technology and climate technology investing. You can connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, you are always welcome to send me messages. I suck at replying, uh, be patient or follow up. It might take a while because I get a lot of messages and I'm very bad at communicating. Uh, but do feel free to reach out. And I talk a lot about climate change and leadership also, or my perspective on leadership in, on LinkedIn. So feel free to follow me too. Thank you. Thank you, Jacqueline, for everything that you do, for the background that you have. I think that's a gift as well. That's uh, the perspective uh, that you have and how you uh, prioritize, how you are self-aware, especially somebody working in the finance world. I think I'm very amazed with how much you are self-aware and how you also do it together as a team. And uh, yeah, I will include your website with the show notes and uh, I want cool. to wish you all the best for everything that lies ahead for you. Great. Thank you very much for having me on your show. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. That's it for this episode of Choosing Leadership with Sumit Gupta. I choose leadership every time I record this podcast and I invite you to do the same. I invite you to design a life of joy, meaning, pride and satisfaction, not just for yourself, but for everybody around you. If you got something out of this episode, would you share this episode on social media? And if you know somebody who would be a great guest, can you tag them on social media to let them know about the show? And if you are a leader who wants to acknowledge how far you have come and have big dreams for the future, please reach out to me to be a guest on this podcast. And I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. This is what I do most naturally, to lovingly and gently provoke you, to help you see your own light, to help you see what you are already capable of. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and it means a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to deployyourself.com and subscribe to my newsletter or follow me on LinkedIn. I want to thank everyone who contributed to making this show a reality. And I want to thank you for listening. Always remember that you are enough, you are loved and you matter. This is Sumit. Until next time, keep choosing leadership.